This episode of the Managing Major Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. The best of the best and world champions of men's grooming are here so you can stay clean and take care of yourself when it matters most. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all of your below-the-waist grooming needs with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping on your next order. Hey, Matt Wiltsey. I know we didn't have Real Madrid actually play this weekend, but we had a mini classical Real Madrid Castilla B versus Barcelona B. And was it evident to you that there were just some players on the field yesterday that used their Manscaped kit before going on the field? Oh, for sure. I mean, we know Raul runs a tight ship as a coach, and Valdano, Jorge Valdano, has said that he turns 17 year old boys into men. And I think one of the ways he uh, runs that tight ship is to make sure that all these young men are using their manscape and using their manscape tools. And uh, three guys that stood out from this game were Aranda, Peter, and Blanco. Those three were three standouts and definitely guys that are using their manscape tools. Listeners get 20% off and free shipping with the code managingmadrid at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code managingmadrid. Shoot for glory this year with the best tools from the job from Manscaped. This episode is also brought to you by Moxie Miami South Beach Hotel, which is where you should be booking your stay when you come see us for our live podcast in Miami. That's happening in January, on Thursday, January 20th. And that one is going to have a lot of special guests, given the where it is geographically. It's a, it's a bit of a hot spot for friends of the show who are high prominence, we'll just put it that way. So if you're in Miami or in Florida, you want to drive down for January, you should. Tickets are in the show notes. Um, also, we'll be in Toronto next weekend for the Classical Preview Show. There are two tickets left to that. So if you want those two tickets, if they're not gone already, go immediately upon listening to this in the show notes and book your Toronto tickets. Uh, Then we have Dallas in November, New York in December, Miami in January, London in February, Washington, D.C. in March, Chicago in April, and Mumbai in May. Somewhere in between we'll do Madrid, but we haven't announced that yet. And tickets to all those are in the show notes. Go immediately and book your spot. By the way, Moxie Hotel in South Beach. Check out their Moxie Beach Hut. Suns out, buns out. Hotel guests receive complimentary access to the Moxie Beach Hut on world-famous South Beach at 10th Street and Ocean Drive. Enjoy the free beach chairs and spend the day getting the perfect Miami tan. That's Marriott.com and you can go to Moxie Hotels, part of the Marriott Bonvoy network of hotels, Moxie Miami South Beach. Book your stay there when you come see us in Miami. And today's show is a kind of a hybrid of a loan tracker which is only usually for patrons but we threw on some of it um, tonight we'll do the rest of it on Tuesday because we have two loanies actually playing tomorrow and didn't get a chance to feature this weekend and those are Audrey Zola and Victor Chus so we'll cover those on the Tuesday show uh, but we did talk about Regulon and Rainier Jesus and we also predominantly talked about Castilla B I don't know why I say Castilla B it's actually just Castilla Castilla versus Barcelona B, which was yesterday. It was a game that was highly intriguing and a lot of fun. And we got to see some great performances from some of the youth team products. And uh, I thought we were the better team. Unfortunately, not to win, but we need a clinical finisher. And Matt and I break that down. All of that in the upcoming show. So kick back, 
grab your beverage of choice. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. And let's get right to it. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Hello and welcome to a Sunday edition of the Managing Madrid Podcast. This is your host, Kian Sobani. We are recording this about uh, just before it hits 2 o'clock Eastern. And we're recording this obviously on a weekend where Real Madrid's game against Athletic has been postponed. So we don't have anything A-team related to talk about necessarily. Like we can... We're gonna. The squad was released today. There are some surprises, but a lot of the the injuries and stuff um, has Carlos' hands tied. Obviously, Ferland Mendy is back in the squad. That's a huge thing. There's not really so much about the A team we're gonna talk about today. There have been a few fun things this weekend, though, um, from the club's perspective. If you haven't listened to it already, it just went up this morning. Omen um, Grant recapped Realmadrid Femenino's game against Sevilla yesterday. Um, and that is on the Patreon feed, patreon.com slash managingmadrid. We're going to talk about today something that was previewed by Ruben, Sam, and Chris on Castilla Corner's return on Friday. They previewed the Castilla versus Barcelona B mini Classico. And given that they weren't able to record, Matt and I thought we would log on tonight and we would go through that game, our reflection on that, some thoughts on that, and we'll discuss some loan tracker stuff too. Um, so, Matt, this, was this the first time you've seen Castilla play in God knows how long? Because for me, it absolutely was. Yeah, it's probably been only the second or third time I've seen them this season. And uh, even those other two times, it wasn't the full game. So this was kind of a good snapshot and a fun game to, to watch. To obviously... The Mini Classico, two of the greatest clubs in the world. They're some what is considered to be some of their best youth prospects going head to head. So it was definitely some things to take out of it. Um, it was Raul versus Sergio, which you know, as uh, people who grew up watching that era will have some nostalgia seeing those two players face each other as coaches. And obviously, Raul was the three hundred million times superior player. Um, but it's just kind of cool to see these battles, you know, in a new generation under, under different terms and under different circumstances. And Castilla versus Barcelona B is not a game that happens too often in the modern era. In fact, uh, it's just not a very common game. That's why when it happens, it's kind of something that you really want to tune into. And I try my best to remind everyone about it yes, uh, the day before the game. So that was Friday because it caught me off guard because I was just looking at the international break and everyone coming back from it this weekend except for Real Madrid. So I was looking, okay, since Real Madrid are not playing, I really want to start prioritizing games like Real Madrid Femenino and Castilla. And I looked at the schedule and was like, oh, Castilla play against Barca B tomorrow. I don't know how I missed that. So it kind of caught me off guard and I'm glad I remembered in time, although I'm sure I would have been reminded by, by it, you know, just through the timeline and stuff. Part of the reason it's challenging to watch Castilla this season is because of the rights. It's no longer something that's being aired freely on Real Madrid TV. And, and when it is, it's often blocked based on your geolocation. 
and footers who has the rights that can only be accessed through Europe. So I've tried to access footers through uh, the account of Christopher McCormick who's given me login and it just does not work in North America. So that's part of the challenge of watching Castilla play it's this season. It's just been really difficult for rights issues. So uh, anyways, we figured out a way to watch it yesterday and I'm glad, I'm glad we got a chance to do it. Matt, what were your initial reactions kind of just going through this game? Was it something that caught your eye immediately when you were watching it? Yeah, I think as the game started to unravel, the thing that maybe surprised me the most was the way Raul set up the team. And it looked like it would be with wingbacks in kind of a 3-4-3 system or even a 3-4-1-2. But in reality, I mean, the the wingbacks, Miguel Gutierrez, yes, sometimes he played as like a left wingback, but Peter on the other side was really just a right winger, like he wasn't a right wingback. And so I guess I was surprised at how uh, aggressive the team played and how attacking the formation was. And just like it really was those three center backs kind of on an island with the, on, on their own in certain times when, when Barcelona transitioned. Uh, and it was Gila um, and Marvel and uh, the, the Rafa Marine who's mm-hmm. now coming to the side. And so they were, I mean, I thought that those three were really, really good. Marvell was my first time seeing him and I've, I've heard, I've heard like some murmurs about him and like people talk about him, but this is my first time actually putting eyes on him. And I thought he was really strong in the back. Liked what he like, just liked everything he had composed on the ball, good passes out of the back, strong, fast, like you name it. He, he had it all. And I, I mean, it seems like right now we're churning out pretty quality center backs and he's another one that's rise through the ranks yeah and the other one like i knew about mario gila enough the other two i hadn't seen play much and i really like rafa marin's performance too and you mentioned um you mentioned the other one but i thought with with rafa marin he was he was just very good and marvel was the same too by the way but i think like the ability to step out those step out interventions when the ball is coming in the vertical passes coming in, the ability to read that coming out of the back and step up at the right time, intercept it. Marin was very good at that. Um, he was good to getting just being first to 50-50 balls. Passing was good from from all three center backs, I thought. I thought the vertical passing from everyone on this team coming out of the back was pretty good. I think the the intriguing thing for me watching this Going in this kind of blind, you know, we know the obvious names. We know the Arribases, the Blanco, Miguel, Mario Gila, those guys. Um, with Barca B, there was a lot of hype from Barcelona Twitter on, on their team. I really I really didn't know what to expect. I wasn't sure if we were going to get, you know, outclassed, if we were going to get outplayed, if we were the better team, if they were the better team. It's kind of hard to know. Like, you know, this is why I don't, I'm not on Castilla Corner. They would be able to dissect this much better than I can. But it, it kind of was clear to me, despite like a little, you know, some a lot of waves of possession and circulating the ball from Barcelona. It I was impressed at how Real Madrid were in control despite not having the ball. Like, it's rare that you see a team not have the ball but still be in control. 
like Atletico at its peak is that kind of team. Like they they're in control without having the ball, and they don't they don't feel in the least um, discomforted or um, getting in their heads or you know just feeling like they're they're losing control. It's it's hard to do, and Real Madrid. Castilla are not that defensive. I'm not saying that they were like Atletico in a deep low block. Not far from it. But I thought they were like in their compact mid 4-4-2 block. All the rotations were good. They were able to clog passing lanes really well. And I think Barcelona just kind of circulated the ball between their defenders. Not really sure how to break that down. And I, I maybe I would have expected more pressing from Raul's team. Generally speaking, because every time I've seen them, they've been a high-pressing team that's been part of their identity. Maybe against Barcelona, they wanted to do do it a little bit differently. Um, they did press high on goal kicks and pretty much won the ball guaranteed on every one of those sequences because, again, Barca, they, they would do this high to man, high, uh, man-to-man high press and the goalkeeper would just eventually kick it away. The defensive shape is what impressed me the most. And we can talk about all the offensive things. There's a lot of fun offensive things to talk about, despite this being a nil-nil game. But I thought defensively, Matt, um, Real Madrid-Castilla were organized, compact, quick with their transitions, quick with their rotations. It looked good from a defensive standpoint, at least for most of the game. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think, I think, uh, especially like when the moments when. Castilla did press. They actually pressed really well, and you mentioned it how like they would they would win the ball high up the pitch and then create an opportunity. And while I was watching the game, I was thinking to myself, "Wow, these guys press better than the first team. Like they they just more organized. They 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 know their roles. Everybody's kind of in unison, and and it looks like a much more cohesive press. So I was impressed with that. And then. To your point, when it was time to sit in a, a deeper mid block, like the team did it and, and they looked comfortable. Like Barca had a lot of possession in the first half. Um, at one point, I think it was 70 30 possession, but they didn't do anything with it. They didn't create any opportunities. I couldn't think of a single opportunity that they created uh, in that maybe like one big opportunity in the first half, while Real Madrid had at least three or four, at least. And I thought. Um, that's a credit to Raul and his team. Like they knew their roles, they knew where they were supposed to be. I think uh, the only time it got a little tricky was when, like I mentioned, with the three center backs, if we were in transition. And I thought this happened more in the second half when the team was a little bit tired. Uh, in transition, if Barca got on a counter attack and they were running at our three center backs, like we were literally there were times where it was three v three or four v three. And so that's when it gets a little dicey and a little bit of a risk. Like that—that's why I was surprised with how, I, how aggressive Raúl was, just because like you literally are playing three v three at certain times in the back, uh, and he was okay with it. Like he he put the players out there to try and get a result, and it was just dis- from my perspective, it was disappointing because like Castilla definitely deserved the win. Um, I think they had far better opportunities. They came much closer to scoring and. They just couldn't find that finishing touch. They lack a striker for sure. Like Andre Gujonson, uh, I was not impressed with. I do not think he was the guy that we needed up top. Uh, Latasas, who's coming back from that big injury last year, I don't think he really provided anything as a substitute. So they're missing. That's what they're missing this year is a striker. Um, missing that Hugo Duro type to just bang in the goals because 
uh, no one, no one had the clinical finish on on the day yesterday. Yeah, they had pretty much everything else except for that clinical finish. And then you also had like those opportunities. They weren't just opportunities; those they were great opportunities. Some of them, uh, even Arribas, who I would have relied upon, <laughs> miss. They, he didn't miss sitters or bunnies or anything, but certainly he was in really good positions in the box and shooting positions, and he kind of just got his laces way underneath the ball and skied at Peter too. Um, Aranda had a few chances, but they were a little bit more difficult. I wanted to ask you about, because you you know, you know said some of the stuff about Raul and the way he had the team prepared and the shape and stuff like that. Was there anything that you saw in this game that, you know, with... After reading the Jorge Valdano interview, where he praised, he had high praise for Raul's coaching ability. Was was there anything in there that were like, yeah, I see that now. I see this. Like, was there anything like? I know it's really hard to tell because you know it's just yeah. it's an interview and it's a game. But like, it's just. Was there anything that got you excited? Do you feel like there's a lot of merit in what Valdano was saying? Yeah, I mean, I so. That, I couldn't help but think about that interview throughout the game. And I was I was thinking to myself, like, for those who haven't read it, like Valdano basically said he, he put Raul at the stature of, like, Guardiola, Klopp, and others. And he, yeah. he feels he'll go on to be one of the, the best managers in the game and just so impressed with what he's done, how he's taken these 17-year-old boys and turned them into men and, like, relayed the Real Madrid value to them, showed them what it takes to to be a, a professional player and to make it at the highest level. And he's go, gone on, and Valdano talked about, like, you can ask Raul about any player in the academy. He knows him. He knows all 300 players. Like, ask him about any player, and he knows him. And I thought that was a cool little fact to come out of the interview. And so just watching that game, like, I, I, when I talked about, like, how these guys know their roles, like the pressing it looked way more cohesive than even the first team. Like those are things that you got to point to Raul and you got to say, that's a credit to him. And he is. I know you've been talking about this before, Kian. Is like how animated he is on the sideline and just he's very expressive and he's always like, he's a guy who's got that energy that Valdano said it's like Diego Simeone energy. Like he's very animated on the sideline. He's pushing the team. He's screaming at guys. If you're not in the right position, he'll let you know it. And so I thought like. This is that's what you get when like you want a team in in to be in a in a type of shape you want and to kind of adhere to the press you want. Then sometimes you you need that type of manager on the sidelines. He's also just got this tough love approach. Like he has that aspect, all those things you just said, and on top of it, he's just a kind of guy. Like anytime I've been at the games, and these are some of the things you see if you're at the stadium and you see the games and stuff, which I dearly miss. I can't wait to be back there. <clears throat> but some of the things you see is that like when the ball is out of play, or like before the game warm-ups, or if there's a sub, he always has like his arms around one of the guys and just giving them instructions and pointers. <clears throat> Definitely, just feels like a very charismatic individual. I mean, he was always charismatic as a player, and I and I feel like that's gonna carry over as as a head coach it is interesting like when you think about I, I i'm curious to know how some of the stuff translates to the senior squad and I, I say that almost as a fact that he's just going to be senior squad manager just because i feel like we all we all feel that's inevitable <clears throat> because when a castilla coach and especially if it's uh, someone like raul a figure like that it's only a matter of time before like something goes wrong at the a-team level and you just have to bring in raul <clears throat> 
Um, but whether that happens now or five years from now or 10 years or, or maybe, who knows, it doesn't even happen at all. But I feel like it's inevitable. But I'm curious to know like, how some of this stuff translates. For example, he was known or he is known to have very strict off-field off rules. Like, for example, no cell phones. Um, after, after, I think it was like after a certain time of the day, like no cell phones or something, or like avoiding all distractions and all that stuff. And obviously you're not going to be able to control that if you say that to, let's say, um, you know, somebody like Karim Benzema or <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo. Like you're not going to come in and be like, hey, you can't do this anymore off the field. So I, I want I think a lot of his methods methods are like are meant to be for those players because that's what they need to be hearing at that point in their careers, um, and I'm just curious to know like basically how it translates to a senior side. I think it will translate well because he's a figure that's highly respected. He's got that he has that Zidane aura of like a mythical figure at the club. Um, he has that, so I feel like it, it would do well, and I, and I and I think he's more tactically astute than I thought he was going to be. And I don't know, maybe it's unfair of me for thinking that he was going to be maybe tactically not on a great level. Like when I think about Xabi Alonso as a player, I think about a very high tactical level. I don't think of Raul that way. But now that I think about his career, you know, we always talk about his his off-ball intelligence and just his ability to know where to be as a player. I mean, he was such a... His whole thing was that his he had a high IQ. He was not really a 10 out of 10 skill-wise in every, any particular thing, although his first touch was immaculate. Um, and he, he had that whole chip shot routine he would do. But he was a very simple, basic player who was just really intelligent. So I, I, I suppose it was weird of me to not think that it would translate well as a coach to be that intelligent and that charismatic. I guess it just kind of makes sense. So that Valana interview kind of got me a little bit more excited about the career because it made me think. And, I, and I, now that I think about it, Anytime I've watched Castilla, I've been pretty impressed with it from a tactical level. Yeah, I mean, Valdano's definitely hyping Raul up, that's for sure. And I think, like, I think it'll be interesting, to your point, on how it translates at a first-team level. I think it will be you're either on board with Raul or you're not. Like, anybody, any player that doesn't get on board with him is just going to be cast to the side. I don't think there's going to be... It's, it's going to be more almost like Mourinho, like, in that regard, I yeah. think. Because... I I don't think Raul is going to have any patience for players that just don't abide by rules or don't follow like the game plan or whatever it may be. Like he's not going to be. I don't know if he'll be that personality that like just massages everybody's egos like Zidane or Ancelotti. I think he may be good actually for when guys like Benzema and Luka Modric eventually leave. Tony Cruz like bringing in that new generation. Valdano talks about how he's so good at passing on the values. Like when those guys leave, that's a huge, that's a huge void from veteran players and guys that have won everything and guys that can pass on values. And we know Benzema and Modric are guys that do that. So maybe having someone like Raul as the new figurehead would be, it would be the right moment potentially. So shifting our attention back to the game a little bit. uh, I think, what impressed me about it from an offensive standpoint, again, because they didn't score, we can't really be that go that crazy about it. You know, there's some issues here with putting the ball in the back of the net. I thought everything in the build-up phase was pretty good. You look at the 
it was kind of a dull pivot, right? With Antonio Blanco and uh, and uh, sorry, Dotor, Carlos Dotor, Dotor, Carlos Dotor. Those guys were good at progressing the ball. They they were good at finding a little bit more like the difficult pass. If there's two options, one is the easy one, one is the more vertical one that had to has to be a little bit more incisive. They were able to split that ball pretty cleanly through Barca's midfield. And a lot of the production from the wings was really impressive. Like you had in front of Dotor and Blanco, you had Aranda, who was primarily on the left wing, Peter, who was just cooking everybody on the right wing, and Peter, who like I think has been playing so much time at right back. I think a lot of people forgot that he was this devastating as a pure right winger that doesn't have too many defensive duties. Um, so you had him, and then you had Aribas kind of just floating around, and Aribas, we know what he can do. I was, out of all these three players, the one I knew least about was Aranda. I was impressed with him. I really liked just... He's kind of... I don't know if you saw this. I kind of saw a little bit of Di Maria in him, just the way he dribbles. His agility, his way he cut back, cuts back in and out to kind of get past his marker. He has a really nice whip on his cross. So that's one that impressed me, and he obviously had a really good chance. He had two really good chances, one of them where uh, that which came from an incredible ball from Peter, I think it was. Um, and Peter on the right wing, who was just over and over again, his flair was causing Barca so many headaches. Um, just the way he was dribbling in tight spaces. He had one shot in this game where it was very Mohamed Salah-esque, and, and Salah scored a great goal yesterday, and Peter almost kind of mirrored it in his own way, but he shot it just wide with his left foot. So talk to me about those three players, Matt. What stood out to you? And maybe maybe just in case I miss some sticking points, some weaknesses and stuff, point those out too. Yeah, so Aranda was definitely one for me that stood out. Like you, I hadn't seen much of him. Um, and I know Zidane called him up last year, and I think he's already made his first team debut. He got a few minutes, but... Other, I mean, other than that, I really haven't seen much of him, and I was really impressed. The Di Maria is a good call. I didn't think of that. The person he reminded me of, to be honest, since he was playing on the left wing and just the change of pace and his directness was Vinicius. Like I even saw Vinicius in him. Uh, he just he he would he was never afraid to go at a player and could create something out of nothing. Like the chances he created, he created on his own. Um, and he probably should have had a goal or two just just from his own individual ability. So really impressed with him. And did you know that the other Aranda on Barca is his brother? So he was playing up against his brother, oh, and they were not. on the same, same side. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he was definitely a standout for me, like especially of guys I didn't really know about. Um, I do want to say Blanco, I just felt like, was a class above. He was just so good with every touch he had. And I I, I was like, this guy's too good for this level. Like, he, he doesn't need to be playing in this game. So, um, really, again, always, I liked what I saw with Blanco. I always like what I see with Arribas. I, I don't think this was, like, uh, like transcendent performance from Arribas. But at the same time, he was, he was very, very good. And you always kind of know what you're going to get from him. And his quality just stands out. And so... Um, he was very good. And then Peter, who you talked about, I felt like was he was 
for sure on the opposite wing of Aranda, like a, just a difference maker. And I don't know if he was technically supposed to be playing right wing back or just Rowe was like, you know what, screw it. We're going to play with four guys up front. And he was playing as a right winger, but he destroyed the Barcelona left back like time and time again. And he, he I mean, of anybody on this team, you would say, look, right wing is has been historically a weak position for Real Madrid over the last few years. Like, we haven't really been able to find someone to fill that hole. So if you're a guy that can perform in that role and play well, you, you might have opportunities down the line. Um, I, I thought Peter was... Like, I was kind of sad that he when he was substituted off, he came off in the second half. I was like, oh, man, this is not... I was really just looking forward to seeing him do this for like 90 minutes where he just constantly goes after Barca's wingbacks and then cuts in, takes on the second one or plays a nice pass into the box. I really enjoyed his performance yesterday and I just liked the way he played. I liked the fact that he he looked very confident. His body language was great. He felt like he was the best player on the field, like the way he carried himself. And I thought Barca were just really like they were actually kind of scared of him. Um, I agree about Blanco's level being above the rest. When I saw the starting lineup, I was kind of actually surprised in the sense that Miguel and Blanco were even there because, you know, they're 18 players. They're good enough to be 18 players and they've been called up for a reason. And they've been getting minutes for a reason, although Blanco looked a bit of an unfortunate situation for him in a lot of ways because he just... uh, He's playing behind a really great midfield, and even when we've been thin, um, you know, Camavinga's just kind of come in and, and played a lot, and played all those minutes and soaked them up and stuff. And so Blanco's a little bit unfortunate in that sense, but um, I, I I just saw them in the lineup, and I was like, these guys feel like they, they shouldn't be here. But at the same time, when they're on the field, they really felt like we had the best players on the field. Like, did you feel that way? I felt like watching Barcelona and Real Madrid it just was clear that Real Madrid have the better players on the field on that particular day. Like, it's just, we have 18 players and that's that. And those are the best players on the field. I did feel that, that they were definitely above above the rest. Yeah, I wanted to ask you if anybody on Barcelona stood out to you because I don't, I mean, no one really stood no. out to me on, on the Barcelona team. And for, I, I felt like Real Madrid's quality was far superior to Barcelona's. And, uh, Miguel, I didn't. I actually didn't think Miguel had that great of a game. He did. I, I'll give him credit though. He overlapped time and time again. Even even late stages of the game, he was there making those overlaps and getting down the line. So the the effort and the industry was there. But I just didn't think he was that involved. Um, but yeah, I mean, even going back to a guy like Blanco, I think if he he obviously he's behind other midfielders. Like he's probably last in the pecking order for the first team. So. If he only gets like 500 first team minutes, if that this season, then I don't know. I feel like this may have been a wasted year for him. I would have rather have seen him go out on loan because he's good enough for a La Liga team and and to really get some relevant minutes and see what he's capable of. Because I like him as a player. I just don't know what his ceiling is. I can't tell, and he's too good for this level. So I want to see him more consistently at a, at a higher level. We're talking about Blanco or Miguel. Uh, Blanco. Yeah, so. yeah, I agree. Um, in terms of Barca, who impressed me, no one really did. I, I thought they were a little bit more dangerous in the second half. And that kid who came on, Abde Elzazuli, I think it is, 
came off the bench and he had I mean his dribbling was pretty good and he caused us some problems dribbling at us especially in transition but uh, there wasn't really anything from the Barca side that that impressed me uh, do do we have anything else to say about this game we should just touch on uh, some loan tracker stuff quickly too uh, let me look and see the line. Well, I don't know if you mentioned it, but I did think Carlos Dotor was, uh, yeah, really good in this game alongside Blanco. I agree. Um, they kind of held it together given how, how offensive the rest of the lineup was. Um, it's interesting to see Marvin, like I kind of forgot about Marvin. He came on later for Peter yeah. when you mentioned you were upset, Peter came off and Marvin was the one that replaced him. And, um, he actually had a good cutback too. I think it was a rebus late in the game, and I think it was probably you who tweeted on the managing Madrid handle a rebus shoot shoot, and that was that was from Marvin's cutback. But other than that, like Marvin was kind of quiet, and I feel like maybe his role has diminished this year just because of uh, the rise of of Peter and some of these other guys like Aranda and Peter Gonzalez. I mean, they're both they were huge standouts, and I don't I don't like I don't think. Marvin's more of a pure right winger, kind of get to the byline, put a cross in, a la Lucas Vasquez, and these guys kind of bring a little bit more flair to to the right right and left wing. Yeah, it feels like the classic, like one of them will raise your baseline maybe, and the other one just raises your ceiling altogether. And uh, and Marvin is kind of more like the the Vasquez comparison with Marvin is actually pretty good, I think. Uh, let's talk about. We're gonna zip through loan. This is we're gonna do an actual uh, loan tracker episode on Tuesday, but we thought this would just be easier to break it up because on Tuesday we'll play Shakhtar too, so uh, we don't want that episode to be too difficult to record. But we kind of. But to be honest, Matt, you and I both thought that we'd have more loanee stuff to talk about. We thought we might even be able to actually do the whole loan tracker tonight, but there were a couple barriers. One is. Uh, Two of our loanees play tomorrow, Odrio Zola, and who's the other one that plays tomorrow? Uh, potentially Victor Chust. Victor Chust with Cadiz. So Kubo and Brahim were both injured, and we we were almost going to record this at nighttime just so we can include Mayoral versus Juventus, but then we were like, nah, he's not going to play. And he's not in the starting lineup against Juve, which starts in about 20 minutes. Uh, if he comes in off the bench to score a hat trick, just know, just put a disclaimer on it. Just know that we recorded this before that, so we wouldn't have been able to talk about it anyway. Um, we just have a couple things to talk about. Earlier today, Reni Jesus got five minutes off the bench in a pretty comfortable win, um, and I don't really have much to say about that, if anything at all. Because I I don't think anything really happened that he was involved in in those last five minutes that he played in against Mainz. Um, there were a couple goals, one for each side, but I I don't really have much else on him. Um, one thing that happened pretty fresh before we started recording was Regulon played in Tottenham's three one win or three two sorry because Eric Dyer made that mistake at the end three uh, two win over Newcastle in a game where a lot of eyes were on this game Matt. And it really felt like kind of a world, the world versus Newcastle type vibe because of the takeover, because of all the Newcastle fans being so uh, blatantly and unapologetically supportive of the takeover. Um, the way they were all dressing like Saudis in a very cringeworthy, uncomfortable fashion in the stadium and all that stuff. So it really felt like the world was against them. 
and so everyone was watching. This was kind of a big deal. I I was watching honestly just for regular purposes, and it just happened to be that Newcastle game. <laughs> but um, I guess we can preface this by saying Regulon's maybe most important contribution was not actually on the field. Close to halftime, not just minutes before halftime, Regulon notices on his side of the field that fans are distressed and they're they're trying to call over and there's a bit of a scene and they they call him over and he notices and there's a fan who is in not good condition he's being treated with cpr and regulon um signals up to the referee like look we can't play this game this is what's happening and so the referee stops the game and credit regulon to bring that attention the quote from regulon after the game was the fans say, stop, stop. I saw the fan lying down and one man giving him CPR. I was very nervous. I went to the referee and said, we cannot play. Stop the match, end quote. And so there were about, I, I don't know what number to put on it, but I, I think about maybe 10 minutes where the players were just over to the side and talking to their coaches while that fan was getting medical treatment. And um, they eventually resumed the game. After quite some time, thankfully, because the fan seems to be in stable condition and was on his way to the hospital, the game resumed. Uh, and now we can, I think, talk about the actual performance of Sergio Regulon. So I'm just curious to know what you thought of this game. Uh, I think Tottenham have had a terrible season, but even then they were levels above this Newcastle team. Yeah, well, first off, let me say that I'm shocked that the Newcastle takeover was eventually approved and just like I'm really disappointed and I think it's it's not going forward this is not a, a, a net positive for uh, the this sport and just again it's another entity a state-run club basically that's going to uh, one with very suspect and very um, like issues with human rights and you name it different different issues that i mean in the first place should this should this entity be even allowed to take over a Premier League club and then two it's it's just going to continue to inflate this transfer market that we live in it's going to continue to cause the rise of super teams and turn the Premier League i mean you want to talk about to uh the the Super League, I mean, that the Premier League is becoming something that soon other clubs just can't even compete with. And so this is, I do not, like, I'm not excited or looking forward to this new takeover from Newcastle. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they grow the project and they kind of take learnings from what City and PSG did. But they're even bigger than those two clubs now in terms of financial power, which is just a scary thought. We, we saw this summer what happens with PSG and what money means to them. And so uh, with an entity even larger than that, that's, that's a little scary. Um, but yeah. for, for Regulon's performance, I thought he was really good. And he had a tough, like the, the Newcastle, the Newcastle um, atmosphere was just electric to start the game. Um, and it was, it was, kind of a it was a cool scene to see like i know i just said everything i just said but it was a cool scene to see like just how um how much it 
impacted the fans and like their just the atmosphere at the club. Like at least that you can take from it. You see, these guys are they're genuinely happy to be on move on from Mike Ashley, who from all accounts was was a terrible owner. Um, and so they came out and they scored within two minutes, two minutes, and they just fed off the energy of the crowd. Um, but then gradually Tottenham found their way. Regulon, I thought was really good. I mean, it's it's kind of his typical, his energy and his industry we've come to know, and that's that's so important for the left side of Tottenham's attack. And it was Regulon who provided the assist on uh, Ndombele's goal, and he brings the ball down, perfect first touch, and then just plays a square pass to the top of the box to Ndombele, who who hits a nice shot. Um, and so that's that's just something like without that first touch. That goal doesn't happen, and so um, his his technique has always been something I think is underrated, especially bringing bringing those long passes down. And he, I thought he was pretty good. He was up against Saint Maxime as well, who's probably Newcastle's only quality player and a guy that's just really dangerous in one v one situations. And Regulon always seems to do well against those guys that are just. Uh, it, usually, if they get a defender isolated one v one, they they tear them up. But Regulon seems to always do well. Even Mares, uh, Salah, like in the past, he's done well against those type of guys. I feel like that's the trait I like most about Regulon. Is the most impressive to me is that he can just size up any attacker in the world and hold his own, and usually come out on top. Uh, I think it's interesting because that uh, same Maxime guy. He was really good. I I didn't check at after the final whistle because we actually kind of started recording this before that game ended. Uh, but at halftime, he had six completed dribbles. And he actually went over to the left quite a bit. And if you look at Newcastle's heat map, collective heat map, pretty much everything went to the left. And Regulon didn't really get tested that much if you think about it. I mean... A lot was on Emerson's side, and for that reason, Emerson was actually more pinned than Regulon was. Regulon was able to play a little bit higher up the pitch for that reason. Um, but I agree; I, I really like this Regulon performance. He he just he was good at picking his spots offensively. Um, there was one or two moments where he was out of position initially, or maybe out of position is the wrong word. He was just caught up the pitch, and there was space behind him. But he recovered well defensively, and on the ball, he was great. Dribbling was fine. He was attacking with purpose, vertical dribbling, passing square inside, and then sprinting back into the final third. Had a couple good counter-pressing sequences. Uh, defensively, again, he was good. The assist was beautiful because, just for the same reasons you mentioned, I mean, his first touch was perfect. Um, just brings the ball, brings the ball down perfectly with one touch, and it opens up for a cross and or like a, a square ball sets up Endombele who had a beautiful finish too. On the first goal that Newcastle conceded, you know, Regulon was in this unfortunate position where he has to mark the dribbler and the overlap and you just can't get to both before it was cut back to Callum Wilson. So I, I wouldn't pin that on him, but uh, this was a very good Regulon performance. I, I liked it. I, I liked him overall this season. I think there's been a couple of games where he struggled, but... Man, Tottenham for the most part have been a mess. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't have too much else to add about regular on this performance. But I think that pretty much brings us to the end of the the Loney's who played this weekend. It was just Rainier and 
Regulon with potential for two of them tomorrow to play, which we'll cover on Tuesday, right? Yeah, and so hopefully, I mean, Brahim was sidelined with COVID, apparently. He's picked up COVID. And then Kubo, I think, should be back in the next week or two, hopefully. So once those two are back, they're definitely two of the highlights for, for the loan tracker. All right, awesome. We'll wrap it here then. Um, again, some housekeeping. Please go check out Las Blancas, which was released this morning on patreon.com slash managingmadrid. Castilla Corner was back on Friday. They previewed El Clasico, but there's also some other stuff there that's not outdated. So go and look, go and listen to that as well. Matt and I, and probably only will be back Tuesday night for Shakhtar postgame plus Lone Tracker and anything else we have to cover for Chus and uh, Odriozola. Thursday is the mailbag, also on patreon.com slash managingmadrid. At the time of this recording, actually, let me just double check really quickly my email to make sure so I don't lie to you. Um, yeah, there are two tickets left um, for our podcast in Toronto happening on October 23rd, which is somehow in six days. I don't know how fast how that crept up on us, but in six days, we're recording a live podcast in Toronto. So there's two tickets left to that. The link will be in the show notes for you to book that and just do that quickly because that one actually, it's not even like, it's not, we're not trying to like fool you into the scarcity thing. That bar legally cannot accommodate more than 50 and we're at 48 right now. So just those two tickets, they're going to go either way. So if you want them to go to you and be part of a really fun party, just go and purchase those right after you listen to this. Um, Matt, this was fun. Thank you, my friend. We'll be in touch. Talk Tuesday. Enjoy the rest of the day. Thanks, Cam. Talk to you Tuesday. Right, before we let you guys go, we want to give a quick shout-out to our $10-plus patrons who get a specific shout-out on the podcast. So shout-out to Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Wade Parent, Wamik Jamal, Umar Mahadi, Tyler Simon, Tyler Dixon, Tobias Royal Bacher, Tamid Kalam, Sujaiwani, Sumanchu Singh, Shivam Tiwari, Shabal Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Lorozano, Said Mahad, Saad Omar, Rovi Takiev, Rishi D, Raul Gutierrez, Raghav Potluri, Phoenix, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicolas Sabatero Zubiare, Nick Ribeiro, Muxi Thengal, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Marin Myrtle, Martin Ridman, Leon Stavernakis, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Graham Gerard, Gary Cohut, Frederick Antakiro, Frederick Sudros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Christian Toft, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brandon Stevens, Brendan Powers, Austin Fury Erdman, Anthony Lombardi, Anirud Singh, Alexis Saniceros, Al, Adam Dorsey, and Fabian Moreno. Thank you guys so much for your support. Love you all, and hala marim.